Welcome back to the Doctor Who Flashcast. Uh, we're talking about Face the Raven by Sarah Dollard. I'm Jason Snell, and with me is uh, the two-minute Time Lord himself, Mr. Chip Sutter. Hi, Chip. Now, Jason, when you come on uh, the Audio Guide to Babylon 5 podcast, you typically come in for all the really depressing episodes. Well, so we should say up front that there's a lot of things that happen in this episode, and uh, if you you shouldn't listen to podcasts before you watch the episodes, right? Would you agree about that? Generally? I would agree. All right, I would agree totally. Okay, so so consider that your warning. You probably shouldn't listen. And, and now that that's out of the way, Chip, what the hell did I just see? What just <laughs> happened? What just happened? What just happened? I watched this like 30 minutes ago, and I, I made myself, because I was hungry, I made myself a sandwich, and the entire time I'm out there making making a sandwich, I just keep saying to myself, wow, wow, what, what, huh, what, uh. Okay, now wait a minute. Now, if you're saying, what the hell just happened, I cannot tell if that is praise or... Well, Where I, are you? I, I Where just, are you, man? I, Where are you? Oh. Well, I, for, I'm still getting over what the, the just from the sheer plot standpoint of what happens at the end of this episode because I, uh, while aware that uh, Jenna Coleman was leaving the show, I was not aware that it would be happening. Well, okay, what that that let's put it another way. I I believe it's it's out there in in uh, some of the press that we'll be catching glimpses of Clara in the last couple episodes of the season, but it's Doctor Who, it's flashbacks or visions or whatever. Um, but uh, they killed her in this episode, and I was not yeah. aware of that. I was not prepared for that. I assumed they would do the thing where, well, you know, when they kill somebody, it's like in the last episode of the season. That's what they do it, and that's what Stephen Moffat wants you to think so that he can mess everything up with this uh, with the, this uh, this episode. So that's what happens in the, the last. There's that moment. I don't know if you felt this. There's a lot of fake-out deaths. That, that little gotcha there where she's not going to bleed, breathe out black smoke yeah. after all? Well, th- there's a few of them. There's a lot of fake-out deaths, though, <laughs> where um, where a character's going to die and you can actually write it off because you know that if a co- character is going to momentously die, that they're going to give it its due, right? And there's a moment about, like, I don't know, five minutes from the end of Face the Raven where... Um, they've given it enough due that I'm like, oh no, <laughs> they're really going to do it. Like, you know, they, they, they're actually saying their goodbyes. There's not, there's no way they can do a twist and she's okay after this because, because, because we've been through this already with last Christmas. Yeah, right, right. I mean, it's the labored, there's that moment of like, look, when a show says goodbye to a character or when a show goes off the air, there is, uh, there is a level at which it is the show allowing the audience to grieve because the character or the entire show is going. And that is a feeling... See also the last 20 minutes of The End of Time. Sure. And and, and that's a feeling that... I, I understand it. I mean, I actually think that that's a, a very... Uh, it's a perfectly reasonable way of, of understanding in something like television that you need to give the audience... Um, Unless you're a real jerk, I mean, you want to give the audience, you want it to mean something, and you want it to land, and um, and and the downside of knowing that that is a thing that happens is that when you start to see that the level of detail they're going through on screen is such that this has to be the goodbye 
that's the thing that because it, it's not it's not you know some shows cheat it and they like have a meaningful moment early in the episode and then and and again if you watch enough TV you're like oh that person's totally going to die in this episode because they've had a special moment and uh, but it, but here I just I had that sinking feeling where I, again I knew Jenna Coleman was leaving but there's moments like oh geez this is it this is this is how they're going to do it because they're just spending way too much time yeah um, now I have managed to keep myself blissfully unaware of the spoilers that are that are out there and apparently and apparently uh, the official bbc synopses for the next two episodes as well as this one are just loaded with spoilers Uh, i have had i have had spoiler files who are super into knowing everything that's going to be coming up you know i asked them are are, is all this stuff that's out there really that spoilery and they've said yes don't Mm -hmm. read it so, I am. I don't know if we're going to see flashback images of Clara in the next couple of episodes. I'm sure somebody else could tell me. Please don't. I don't know if there's going to be an aha, you know, last minute reveal um, uh, that you know. I mean, the master gets out of j- gets out of death all the time, and we they had some fun with that at the beginning of the season. I don't know if they're going to find a way to play with that. Uh, at the end of this, at the end of the season, that would be I the just, model, modern equivalent of Trial of a Time Lord saying, "Oh, and Perry's fine." Yeah, yeah, the yeah. End. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, she died. I know you saw her die, but it's, she's fine. She's fine. Suffice it to say, yeah. she and Brian Blessed have never been happier. Let's move on. And right. uh, that would be a real ripoff. And and that's that would, why I think that this is the real deal. Is like this is how you say goodbye to that character and have her, you know, have her make a sacrifice and you know it also feels like we've been leading up to this moment um even more so than with the whole uh david Tennant and and rose thing where it's like boy they're having too much fun a storm is coming this season it's definitely been like wow clara's really kind of like too a little bit too much of this and in this very episode there's that scene early on where where uh she's dangling out of the tardis and almost you know falling out and Riggsy is really concerned and and realizes that she doesn't care and the doctor says, "Yeah, that, it's a problem. It's an ongoing yeah. problem." And, and I really like that. I really like that uh, Sarah Dollard or Stephen Moffat doing a script insert there, or um, or even um, well, I, I just really like that this has been lampshaded. We sort of have seen this if we've been paying attention about Clara becoming more and more sort of reckless. Um, but I like this sort of recognition that the, the doctor has become much more emotionally intelligent this season compared to the previous one. Now that he sort of seems mm-hmm. to know himself and he's been very warm with Clara. He's been very concerned about her, this duty of care stuff. Um, yeah, there have been, there have been fan theories all over the place that, uh, for example, that Clara died the minute. The master stuck her in the uh, Dalek at the beginning of the season, and the doctor's known it. He's been just sort of trying to, but no, it's more. It's it, it's more shocking than that. It's Clara makes an impulsive decision, and it turns out to be the wrong one, and she has to pay for it. Right, and she's being the doctor. She's she figures that she's got this doctor thing, this doctor business set up. She knows how it works now, and she can be the doctor, and she can make these decisions, and it'll all work out. And it's it's one of those things where you know her logic kind of holds. Like, look, they're they're um. In fact, in some of the end, I kept thinking actually Clara's logic is still pretty good here, in the sense that if if a Shilder has said that she'll be protected in public in front of everybody, and what happens is that Clara dies in front of everybody, and Riggsy 
um, walks out of there and it turns out that the person who was dead is actually alive. I don't see how her how she can be in charge of that place anymore. I feel like she's kind of been ruined now. And I think all that logic is, which is none of which is addressed in the episode, but I'm thinking the more I think about it, I I think like, you know, this, this move may not have saved Clara, but it, it has ruined Shielder's station as the mayor of that little street because everything she said was wrong. She lied about the murder, um, and and uh, the person she put under her protection died. So, Which means that we'll probably see her a Shielder if, if she returns to the show in a completely different context. Yeah, yeah. But so Clara's, you know, Clara was in the right direction, um, but uh, you know she was playing a little a little reckless with it. And as the doctor says in a nice line later on. I'm less breakable than you. There's nothing special about me, but I'm less breakable than you. And so he can take those risks because it's a lot harder to hurt the doctor, whereas she is a fragile, a fragile human. But, that, you know, playing Doctor Who is what gets her killed. Yeah, I think that there's almost a I think that's one of the subtexts that Stephen Moffat has done in every one of his seasons and also in his, you know, comments or mild criticisms of uh, the Russell T. Davis era. There is only one doctor. There's nobody except somebody quasi-doctorish like River Song. There is nobody who can ultimately keep up with the doctor. Right. And right. Clara has been the impossible girl. She's, you know, all this other stuff. Um, it's like Moffat builds her up and then has to take her down. Well, in to, a modern, in, just in a mechanics of TV context, right? I mean, yeah. people, people don't stay on the show. Yeah. And so the the modern companion there are only a few ways for them to go. And and so I like how the modern series acknowledges that and says really either you get purposefully left behind, you get sick of it and have to walk out, or you're going to like it so much that you will you will do it until you get killed. Mm-hmm. But those are the only options. There's no, you're right, the doctor is functionally immortal. Um, you're not going to grow old with him. You're if, if you stay long enough, you die. So either something horrible happens that forces you to leave, or you get sick of it and you leave, or you die. Those are the only options. And so, um, you know, Donna gets driven out because of this thing that happens to her. And, you know, Rose gets caught behind a impenetrable, except for all the times that it is, and port portal right. to another universe and martha gets fed up and walks away which reminds me a lot of sort of tegan in the uh in the peter davison era mm-hmm. just saying i enough of this i can't take it anymore i think i think it's realistic to do that but the, it, it does lead to this point right which is if you you really like it you like it too much and it's gonna if you like it too much it's going to kill you that's the only other option for a companion right right i can't I I keep asking myself if this is a more satisfying exit for Clara than last Christmas would have been if the if uh, she grew old and yeah died as an old lady in bed. Well, you know, here's the thing: Clara's story this season has seemed slighter to me than it has been in the previous two seasons, and that's kind of there's kind of no way it couldn't be her first her, her first series series 7b she's the impossible girl the plot device um and people complained people complained about in general 
the writing of the character as sort of a puzzle piece, even though people were generally thrilled with Jenna Coleman's acting. Mm-hmm. Um, the following season, she has a proper character arc um, about her relationship with the doctor oh, after yeah. his change and the relationship with um, Danny her, Pink. With Danny Pink and the real world and all that stuff. The, la- the last 10 episodes, she's been a companion. It does feel a bit like this is, you know, you hear those stories about, oh, we begged her to stay. <laughs> and, 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 and in the case of Jenna Coleman, it's like we begged her to stay. And at the last minute, she decided she did want to stay, which is and, great. Uh, they have nothing to do with her. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's, it's like you're the dog chasing the car. You catch the car. And now what do you do? Exactly, you've, got Cla- exactly. you've got Clara back for another season. Now what do you do? You can't kick and, off another story arc about a companion because you know this is going to be it. And you're not, you're, you'll get her for another year. And then she's going to go. And you've kind of already spent your story on her. So, yeah, she just becomes the, I mean, you, she becomes the faithful companion. And you do the, um, you like this too much thing, which we've seen before yeah. with Rose and is very much what has been replayed this year. Yeah. Yeah. Many parallels. Uh, The doctor getting too attached to the companion, the companion getting too attached to the lifestyle. Um, Many, many parallels between this and the uh, 10th Doctor and Rose story. Uh, They never they never quite got went in that direction um, with Christopher Eccleston. Um, I'm sorry to see Clara Oswald go. I'm I'm even sorrier to see Jenna Coleman go. Mm -hmm. Um, she has been the best, not to say that she's not going to pop up in the next couple of episodes somehow, some way. Um, but she has been, I think the best actress in a companion role in the series, um, since it came back, even eclipsing, uh, Catherine Tate. Um, I think she's, I think she's just been phenomenal. And I was glad that she went out on a strong story, even if she didn't have a great character arc this series. Um, you know, that final that final scene between Capaldi mm. and Coleman is very powerful. And she's got it's a um, in a season of a lot of powerful scenes and powerful performances. It is what, what um, struck me about it is that she has the ultimate power there. Right. There's nothing left for her to do. And she's going to be gone. So she gets to, um, you know, she she thinks they've got power over a shielder and then it, it turns out that they don't. But she still has power over the doctor because she's going to make pronouncements and make him promise. And then she's gone. And so she knows she can get him to do what she wants because of that. And yeah, and I'm giving and, you an order. And she's there are there are very yeah. few characters who can give that <laughs> line to the doctor. And she's and she's consistent, I think, with her character. And she's kind. This is there, you cannot as a, as a longtime Doctor Who watcher, or even a recent last couple of years Doctor Who watcher, you cannot look at that scene and think this is the woman who convinces the doctor not to kill his own people by pressing the button in the time war. Mm-hmm. This is who does that. This is Clara. That is that is what she did. In, in Day of the Doctor. That's right. And um, when you see her say, I don't want you taking revenge, I don't want you, um, I, don't, I don't want you compromising who you really are in the name of me, I don't want you doing that and you need to promise, that is consistent. That is Clara um, all the way back to Day of the Doctor. This is, this is who she is. 
That's Clara all the way back to Day of the Doctor, and that's also the Doctor all the way back to Waters of Mars and uh, Night of the Doctor, Day of the Doctor. You know, she is warning him against pulling the David Tennant stunt. Yeah. And warning him against becoming the war doctor. Becoming the war doctor. I had that. I had that same thought. I mean, it's all wrapped up. The season has had don't so become many... a warrior. Don't yeah. become a warrior. Yeah, but yeah, become a doctor. Uh, you know, you know, heal thyself. This is all wrapped together. You're right. And I, I did not expect there to be so much resonance with the 50th anniversary episode this season, and yet we've gotten a lot of it. And it, here, this is. I mean, in the end, just from a meta perspective, you know. Clara, not only having been a companion for two and a half plus seasons, which is a pretty great run, but um, being the companion for the 50th anniversary episode. And I feel like that that comes that weight comes back here. It's like she will always be the one who stopped him in the time war and all of these other things about the doctor where she was the one who was there. And I felt like the weight in her last scene was really appropriate. Yeah, she's she's actually the longest running modern companion. Uh, she uh, edges out Amy Pond. Uh, Rose was in only in there for two seasons. Yeah. She and um, Jenna Coleman and Karen Gillan both had two and a half, but uh, she got the bigger half of uh, series seven. Right. Plus bonus drop in into the the anniversary show and bonus drop in into Asylum of the Daleks, too. So yeah. she, she got a lot. I, I, w- I was going to say when you were talking about the right way for for um, Clara to go out um, and it, would it be like the originally intended? I think that's been made clear, right, that that Stephen Moffat wrote the the. Um, the the um which one is it with the last uh, christmas the last last christmas that's right george michael will get stuck in your head now oh um, don't do that to me <laughs> uh the uh by growing old and that that was it sounds like that was actually going to be her right out in some form whether she grew old or whether she woke up and was actually young but it was the doctor was gone that was going to be the way they were going to write her out i i feel like clara's story has had death around it in all places, right? First, she's the impossible girl, the shards of her that have traveled back in time. When we first see her, she dies. And then we see her again, and she dies she again. She dies. <laughs> right? And um, and then we get this, her whole arc last year with Danny Pink, who dies shockingly. And I feel like more than any other, you know, more. Than, I mean, she, Doctor Who's got death in it. That's, that's just part of the deal. Um, her story has been, in some ways, about about death and we've seen her die so in that way i feel like it's kind of fitting and i love the line that she says which is if danny pink can do it i can do it i can die right and i think when when she said that i thought you know maybe that and i like that that that's a possible explanation for her um seeing danny die and seeing him face death and then of course he we saw him after he died too (laughs) so it's doctor who anything can happen um but i thought that was fitting too that it's about this man uh, she loved who died and she's been acting awfully reckless since then um i thought that all fit into it it seems to be consistent all of that with with who clara has been since uh since the beginning yeah totally like i said i feel like um she has receded a little bit as a character this season, uh, but uh, went out on a very, very strong note. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Um, we should talk about the rest of the episode a little bit. What? There was there was more to it? <sighs> yeah, I guess we should. Um, it, 
So yeah, the the the, the Clara stuff was really really strong. Uh, I'm not so certain about the the, the sort of neverwhere of Doctor Who. Yeah, the 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 missing streets, the trap streets. I thought it was yeah. cute, although I'm not sure. I, I didn't like. I saw somebody on Twitter refer to it as like um, Diagon Alley from Harry Potter. Um, I didn't like that. I I kind of wished it had been like a modern street. I guess that they wanted to have that that urban fantasy vibe, and that was probably very specifically like yeah, do it like never. I want it to be kind of like old old London hiding, but I, I, I um when they said it sort of like looks based on what your expectations are of it, so maybe that was the way they were trying to wave it away. But I'd almost rather it had been more like a just a a, a street in London that that where aliens lived on it, and it was yeah. the other kind of flipped the other way instead of it being people dressed in kind of weird oldie kind of costumes, ye old costumes, <laughs> um in an old street. Um, you know, I, I don't mind the idea of the streets you don't go down. I mean, that's a very urban fantasy kind of thing. And you don't know that they're there. It's also a perception filter kind of thing from Doctor Who. So we've seen it before. I thought the residents that it's a refugee camp and these are basically aliens that are hiding from people, but also uh, have agreed not to be not to to be violent uh, against others uh, run by a shielder is kind of an interesting idea. And of course, the refugee camp stuff has extra resonance right now. Oh, yeah, tell me about it. Um, and also, um, nice little callback to the Zygons from just the previous mm-hmm. two-parter about the the difference between you know wh- wh- which is actually going to work out better for people or not. Right. And a shielder's got an interesting argument there. Um, going back, I'm not sure. I I I either did not catch, or there wasn't much of an attempt made to draw the connection between recognizing that Riggsy has a problem, recognizing what kind of problem Riggsy has with his tattoo, mm-hmm. and how trap streets, what, the, the, the leap in logic from, from Riggsy's got this problem to let's find a trap street wasn't entirely sold to me. Yeah, it was a, it was pretty light. I think, I think they, there is a line that mentions that he didn't leave London and I felt like it was undersold. I think you're right. Yeah. I, I wanted a scene, and maybe it was in there and it got cut. I wanted a couple of lines from the doctor who says, I've scanned you. You haven't been outside a two-mile radius, and yet there's there's evidence of alien uh, you know, and and he's that that all was in there, but it was it, I felt like it went by so fast, and and that was something you really needed to sell. Like I, you you need to make it crystal clear to the audience that the trap streets was logical, that it had to be in London, and uh, he he basically says, you know, without without leaving London, you've been in London the whole time, but never says why he knows that. And I would have liked, yeah, one line that just said, you know, I can tell based on the radiation or whatever, some mm-hmm. something magically sciencey. Uh, I that, hate being. That you never I hate being home. that guy who is like, it wasn't clear enough and somebody else goes, oh, they said it there. You were just weren't paying attention, you know, but, yeah. but felt, that that seemed important enough to the plot. I mean, you and I both noticed it. I felt like they, yeah, they should have, ha- if they did mention it, which they did in passing, I think it was too light and they should have hung a lantern on it, as they say, and, and made it clear because that piv- the whole episode pivots on the fact that they are able to uh, start scanning the scanning the streets also it's a it's a real shame the TARDIS doesn't have a camera mounted on its base and instead they have to hang somebody out the uh, door with sonic sunglasses on 
Oh, goodness. Just a little um, camera down there. It would be pretty simple yeah. to wire that in. You'd think that they would, so that when they're flying, they could see down and see what they're passing over. But I guess I guess not. It wasn't designed that well, way by the time. It, it wasn't was. designed that way. And it, that was an, an example of lampshading to let us know yes. what the Clara arc's actually been. Absolutely. Um uh, well, because we've but, seen people almost fall out of the TARDIS before, right? They've never, they've never, not ever. She doesn't ever doubt that she's going to live, right? When she's when she's getting slid out the door, she has this. She's completely um, blithely going on, laughing and continuing on, even though you think her life is in in jeopardy. And uh, that is why that scene is there, right? Is she's disregarding her own safety? Yeah, um, a shielder. Um, is she the new River Song? Did you think that maybe this episode wasn't written for a shielder and then they just thought instead of it being the, you know, the, the refugee king or something Neil Gaiman-esque that it might as well be a shielder at this point? It's possible. It'd be nice to, it'd be nice to, um, have some of that, you know, maybe it's sitting on the BBC's website right now with the uh, little notes behind the scenes, but, um... A shielder just it, it it's in her three appearances she has been just utterly different. Mm-hmm. I understand why why you do that sort of a thing. Um, you know she's a she's a shield maiden. She's a high woman. She's now the mayor of an alien thing. But this time around, I thought that was too much of a leap. Um, a shielder's gimmick is that she was born long ago and she is living each day consecutively day by day uh through today uh she's so science fictional now and that that rubs me the wrong way a bit it's perfectly understandable this is a world that has aliens on it this is a world that had torchwood on it um if she's encountering this and the doctor's companions and all this stuff over the thousand years that she's been alive she's going to pick up some stuff i get that but aesthetically, it doesn't please me. This, um, I'm glad you mentioned Torchwood because not only do we get the retcon reference, which is a Torchwood reference, which mm-hmm. is itself a Doctor Who fandom reference, but uh, came via Torchwood. Um, I, I had a couple moments where I thought about Torchwood and I felt like this is not the path they really took with Torchwood where they made it kind of slick and had a lair in, in Cardiff and all of that. But when in the early days of, of, of Torchwood, um, when it was not a show yet, but sort of a running thing, I mean... You know, this is, it's aliens in present day England. Uh, you don't know that they're there. There are a lot of weird aliens. It, it, I, I thought about Torchwood a little bit, just like this is sort of Torchwoody, you know, in a way of the, of the premise of it. Plus they made the ret- retcon reference. And yeah. I, I agree. Um, I'm willing to go with them that uh, the point of a shielder is that our brains can hold whatever, a hundred years worth of information. And in the course of our, our, you know, 80 years ish of life on this planet how many different people are we as we go and then you've got somebody who's untethered from family and untethered from um a lot of things that are are more that keep us more connected and staying similar and this is the idea is that she is the same person and yet she's not at all the same person and she can't even remember because she's been alive so long and yet is still human um i'm willing to go with that 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 we haven't seen her for hundreds of years and this is where she is now she's a she is a resident of the 21st century in doctor who and so now she does this because but of she's course a she resident uh, she's a resident of the weird 21st century yeah well i and because she's hiding from the doctor because 
their relationship is more adversarial. I don't know. I, it, I see what you're saying. I kind of accept it, but at the same time, it was enough to make me think to myself, I'm not even sure this needed to be a shelter, and maybe they just realized they could get Maisie Williams back, and they might as well make this, the, you know, this character who's the adversary in this episode her, because there's a lot of extra depth that brings, because we've seen her a couple of times. Well, um, I think it has to be a shelter because, the, uh, because there's a deal that's been made. Um, we've got the, um, we've got the, um, teleporter bit. We've got the bit with the confession dial, which means I'm pretty darn sure we're going to see the master and maybe the Daleks again in the next couple of episodes. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it couldn't be just a random Gaiman-esque bad guy, um, to, 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 to cut that deal. I think it probably could but it wouldn't have the resonance of it um it could also be some other kind of villain that we've that we've seen before or an alien we've seen before but um that's just a theory i i don't i don't know but but it, the fact that i was thinking that also made me think i'm not sure a shielder is um necessary here i mean the, necessary to push the plot along yes but um you're you're right this is a very different kind of character i'm happy to see her because i think Maisie williams is great and i think her character here is interesting although isn't in it a lot and doesn't do as much as i kind of hope she kind of goes away for a while and then comes back and i think i think that was sort of less interesting again you're you're i I really do think that she's been set up to be the new river song Mm. uh that sort of recurring um in this case, though, more of a more of a not quite, <laughs> not quite an antagonist, not quite a partner, not, not quite the master. I mean, I think yeah. River was more, you know, River was more on the Doctor's side. I think a shielder is interesting because she's kind of like the Doctor and kind of not, and kind of an antagonist and kind of not. I, I think in the end, you would probably say that a shielder is trying to do the right thing. But her priorities are different, and yes, and maybe some of the things she's doing she shouldn't be doing. But I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think that her motivations are evil. She just is making. She says, "I'm doing this to keep my. They, they, they're gonna keep me protected. They were gonna. They were obviously somebody. They threatened." her or the the street or all the people on it and uh, she agreed to hand the doctor over to them that's not a great thing and she shouldn't be applauded for it but it's not like it's her plan she's just sort of doing what she needs to do um and that makes for i think an interesting character because they're they're frenemies this is what i'm saying (laughs) um i am not a game of thrones person so i haven't seen Maisie williams on that show um have you yeah um, I have seen some criticism online of her performance in this episode and in Doctor Who compared to Game of Thrones, and I have to say that I thought that she was kind of wooden this time around. Um, how do you how do you how do you feel about her as as a shielder? Well, she's a young actress, and the part that she's playing, I, I think her part in um in her first episode was very much like her part in the early years of Game of Thrones and her part in her second episode was a little more like her part in the current years of Game of Thrones as that character has grown up and had interesting things happen to her and gone to interesting places. This one, you know, she's supposed to be a little more of a mastermind and um, I thought she was fine. I don't have a a problem with the performance. Um, 
I, I think she's an interesting actress and, and, uh, seeing that young person, you know, young person playing old thing, um, you know, she doesn't do it as well as Matt Smith, but who does? Uh, I think I, I, I thought she was fine, but this one was, I would say the furthest away from what she's been asked to play on Game of Thrones, where she's got this kind of other level of, uh, being, you know, being the, the adversary and, and, uh, I think at the very end when she's more apologetic and said she didn't mean for this to happen, um, that that's better stuff. And that's also stuff that she's more comfortable with and is more like other uh, stuff she's done. Mm. Speaking of regret, let's talk about Riggsy. Let's do it. I love it when the guests are the, are, are, are the hosts. By the way, Chip, this is great. <laughs> I'm feel- now, now you see. Here's here's another segue um, because I'm because uh, speaking of feeling guilty about taking over a host move, there I, I I'm not sure about Riggsy's guilt. Um, um well, Riggsy uh, it, it, is a back Riggsy is a background character in this episode, as he should be. Yeah, um, he it, the bad thing happens to him, and he he gets the plot spinning. Clara talks him into taking on the mark herself, and the only way that she's able to do that is by convincing him that, uh, no, this is perfect, I'll be fine, I've been, um, a shielder offered me protection, and that's the only way, and, and even then she, she affirmatively takes the mark from him. Um, at the end, Clara's like, uh, don't you dare feel guilty. And that's about all we hear from hear and see from Riggsy for the whole rest of the episode until the tag after the credits when he's um, uh, graffitiing the TARDIS. Um, but that's one messed up guy. And I think that I would have liked to have seen a little bit more impact there and a little bit more acknowledgement that um, this is a woman who this woman just died for you. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there, there are some lasting consequences, and I'm not sure that we're going to get them um, because you know that 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 is tough stuff, and it's just sort of brushed aside because he's not a principal character, and we've got to, uh, we've got to say good, we've got to have the goodbye between the Doctor and Clara. Well, it's interesting because Rigsy is in Flatline is uh, Clara's companion. She's the doctor again, and he's the companion. And essentially what we've got here is the doctor sacrificing himself for his companion because Clara is the doctor and Rigsy is the companion, right? I think that's interesting. Um, I think you're right, though, that Peter Davison all over again. How how much more can we do um, in this time span, right? It's already... You know, you've already know you've got five, five, seven minutes at the end of the show that are entirely ba- basically goodbyes to Clara. And so there's not a lot of room for him. Um, it's a little bit like how, uh, you know, he's he he. Well, it's worse when we think he screwed this up, <laughs> which we which then at the end they realize this was a setup. Because of course it was Riggsy. Riggsy knows the Doctor and Clara, and so therefore mm-hmm. could be used. And whether it's a Shielder who knows that, or whether it's whoever a Shielder is working for who knows that, they can use him as a lure, uh, and they tell him to call the Doctor. And I thought that part was also a little bit unclear, but at least it makes it clear that he didn't stumble into this situation. He was lured there um, in order to in order to get the Doctor to come there. Um, uh, and in hindsight, also the the fact that Riggsy has a baby is uh, is spectacularly manipulative because yeah. it's 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 there 
it's there not for us to feel like we think we're supposed to feel at the beginning, which is, oh, look at Riggsy. It's so nice. You know, we weren't sure of him before, but he's he's really, he's got a job. He's got a, he's got a wife or a girlfriend. They've got a baby. It's great. Um, isn't that nice? What it's actually trying to do is make us feel better about Clara's decision when we he's saying goodbye and he's talking and the baby is crying and we know that he's got a a, a partner and a and a and a child to get back to right he's got he's got what Jen he says and the baby um, and it's supposed to make us feel better about Riggsy's decision to let her yeah exactly right that's so so it turns out that 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 is what that was all there about now that is you know I get why uh, plot machinations wise that that was necessary but uh, you know. It, again, I have to say, this is funny. I have to say, Riggsy didn't need to be in this episode either. <laughs> you could have it be. I mean, it's nice that you've got somebody you know a little bit and they've got the tattoo that's counting down. That's a great idea. I wonder if that was the thing that Stephen Moffat handed as his story assignment to Sarah Dollard is a tattoo that counts down until you die and, you know, go and write something. I, I, I don't mm-hmm. even, I, you know, I don't even know. What, yeah. I mean, what if, what if Clara had woken up and she had the tattoo? Exactly. Exactly. And then she called the doctor and they had to go investigate and they thought she was the murderer. Yeah. Other than the fact she wouldn't have had a sacrifice. I just, Riggsy doesn't have a lot to do. He gets the, gets the plot in motion and he feels bad at the end. Um, but uh, he doesn't have a lot to do. And I find that unfortunate because I find that actor uh, kind of charming and that character is a lot of fun and a different kind of character than Doctor Who usually puts in front of us as one of the TARDIS gang. And I really like that about, about him. I like that about him a lot in Flatline, which is maybe my favorite episode last season. I think almost yeah, certainly. He is, he, is one of, he is one of those characters and actors that I would not mind seeing uh, return as a permanent, char- as a permanent companion. Yeah, um, I agree. He was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, our mutual, our mutual friend uh, Stephen Shapansky from uh, Radio Free Scarrow mm-hmm. always talks about how he doesn't like it when you have a kid in Doctor Who because Doctor Who being aimed at families at a family audience, you know that the kids going to make it right. Kids, it, it's it's the polar opposite of Babylon Five. Um, <laughs> uh, at least Riggsy's daughter is never in jeopardy, right? She's, she's never, never in, in jeopardy. jeopardy, but because he's got a baby. <laughs> You know, yeah. I feel that I, I feel that that circle of protection has enveloped to um, to uh, has enveloped Riggsy as well. Mm-hmm. So when you know this show is not going to kill the dad of an itty baby girl. Yeah, I think so. I, I think maybe you're right, and so that that's all part of the the, con- the plot construction here is to yeah. make yeah. us feel better about the fact that he um, doesn't take it back from her or something like that which i I expected kind of more of that can we talk about that that little turn because i i actually um the one the one complaint big complaint i have about this episode is actually i i don't think it i don't think the twist of when you took it from him you took you changed the terms again if i study this episode if i watch it two or three more times i may i may get the 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 specific wording down it's a little bit like what what you and i said before about hanging a lantern on the fact that they're searching for the for the trap streets just to make it a little clearer to the the viewer what's going on when we got to that moment where the there's the payoff of the fact that clara can't have a shielder turn off the mark Right, because it's very clear, it's stated very clearly early on that there are only two ways to get the mark off of someone, and one is to take it on yourself, and the other is for the master of the shade to turn it off, right? Mm-hmm. It's very, made very clear early on. And then we get to this point, and they say, 
oh, you can pass it on, but you can't cheat it altogether. Remember what he said. It's like, well, yeah, he said that. He also said that the master of the shade could turn it off. He said those things in the same scene right next to each other. So I had right. a moment where I thought, yeah, I don't think that I don't think this twist plays fair. And it is actually it made me mad when I watched it. And this is before I thought they were actually going to kill uh, kill Clara. Um I, I, it made me mad because I think it wasn't earned. I think this was a ripoff. I think it was a cheat. I think it's them saying, oh, no, no, no. Did we not tell you this part that you, you totally heard, but we're actually invalidating it? We didn't mean it like that. You didn't read the rules. And I felt like, you know, that was, I didn't like how they did that. I, I feel like they should have stated the rules either more unclearly and shown Clara make an assumption that was totally wrong, or it should have been a little more uh, specifically uh, laid in there at the beginning for us to not understand it and then read it read it later. But it, it, it felt to me like it was not clear enough. And so when they made the twist, again, you can look back and look in the script and say, oh, well, see what, what, what they meant. And in fact, the script does that. The script literally quotes itself and says, see what we meant by that. I just don't think they earned it. I, I, I felt like they had, they had made clear what the rules of this game were. And then at the very end, they're like, oh, no, those aren't the rules. She's just going to have to die now. So that, that is my biggest complaint about this entire thing is that um, that moment when I'm supposed to be sh- sort of shocked that Clara didn't read the fine print when the genie allowed her to make the wish. Um, I, I, I didn't I was not bought in at all at that moment. I felt like my, my eyes rolled pretty hard because um, I, I, I think they didn't play honest with the uh, audience, didn't play fair at that point. You know, I can see your point. Um, I I. I'm not so riled about that. Um, Actually, I, I literally wrote boo in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I am, I'm willing to forgive it more because it, it just strikes me as one of those little, one of those little bits of the, of, of the fine print that I can easily imagine being part of the, being part of the situation. Um, you know, so, I would rather. I, I, I won't say. I, would, I won't say that yeah. they earned it. Yeah. But I'm not really bothered about it because the whole point is that Clara's making some huge assumptions, and I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah, there's just it was awfully awfully clear that oh well you know the master of the shade can take the death mark off. I mean, like they said that very clearly. It's like maybe, maybe it should have been a little vaguer than that. Maybe it should have been well. In some in some circumstances, she might be able to affect the make it make it seem like it's not a sure thing. The problem is, the more you make it seem like it's not a sure thing, the harder it is to justify why Clara is taking it on. Right. So they try to make it again. It's one of these things where I understand why it is the way it is, but it didn't. It just didn't fit for me. That it, all they it had to do, her. Jason, was add three words. Uh, the master of the shade can remove the mark from the condemned. Yeah, there you go. If 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 well, all, I don't if think those, that's what they if, said. <laughs> if those if those three words had been there, then uh, Clara would have overlooked it. And you come back and she says, well, "No, no, from I, the condemned, I, from the from condemned." The con- I yeah, said, yeah. right? Oh no, it's oh, but, it's a died died because of a clerical error. It's a shame. But because it's those three words, and because I can so easily add that little bit of headcanon. It doesn't bother me. It right. really doesn't. Okay. I just, in that moment, again, not even knowing that she was going to die, not, assuming she wasn't, um, I felt like it was just kind of, uh, they didn't go far enough along for me to really believe that they had changed the changed the rules like this. I guess if I were Clara, I would be dead too, is what I'm saying. <laughs> 
Um, I had a few other kind of loose notes. I wanted to mention that I really love Clara's line at the end, um, that uh, you're, you're, you're a liar, you always care, your reign of terror would end at the sight of the first crying child, because this is, the, this is Clara knowing exactly who the doctor is. Mm-hmm. And I, I yeah. like that a lot. He can be, he gets that, you mentioned it, it is that, it is that Time Lord Victorious, that vengeful, angry uh, god moment, right? Which is like, I will destroy the streets and everyone will cry and all that. And Clara is there to go, please, <laughs> not going to yeah. happen. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to mention that. Uh, they made a deal with me to keep the streets safe. We mentioned this. I, I wanted to throw it out there again. There's a moment where I, I chuckle to myself a little bit where he gets the, it, it turns out it's all a trap to get him to, uh, stick the TARDIS key in the lock and get a bracelet put on him. Pandorica. And, yeah, it's, it's exactly. It is another, it is another trap and it's they, this mysterious they. And I chuckled because I thought, oh, he's going to be teleported to the season finale. It's just because that's what's next. So it was very clear at that point, this is where this is going. And then I started to think, oh, maybe Clara's not going with him to the season finale. I understand. And that was a moment of like, oh, this is what's going to happen now. But you have any thoughts uh, since you are blissfully spoiler free about uh, who they are? I have to assume since we had the uh, grand deal being made or at least being proposed at the end of um, The Witch's Familiar I have to assume that this is uh, Missy and or Missy and the Daleks up to something. Well, all because our ta- we all talk about hybrids this year and, and the suggestions of a, a Dalek Time Lord hybrid in the first couple of episodes would, would lead us back to Missy and the Daleks, wouldn't it? It would lead us to back to that. And we haven't seen the confession dial since that two-parter. Right. And here it pops up at the end and a Shielder's been – and a Shielder directly asks for it. So I don't think it could be lampshaded any – Mm-hmm. brighter that uh missy's involved here yeah i think it's i think uh i i would lay money that we will see missy and the daleks again in the next two weeks um and i would probably give pretty good odds for something more time lordy but um that's just me i i have no i have no inside information yeah. but but i i wonder if there is a when when I, here here's my thinking they made me do this right and then and then the doctor says something about the daleks dismissively and i had a moment where i thought well would he really have said that if if it were the daleks you know and again i'm trying to divine from the the, the dialogue what the intentions of the writers are and sometimes that is a mistake i'm looking i'm taking it up too many levels or down too many levels but i had that moment where i thought well okay so if he says the daleks and there's a they, but he said it, so it's probably not them. Then who is it? And the, the, the only thing I could come up with at that point is the Time Lords, uh, which we've had floating out there for a few years now. Uh, maybe we get some more. I, I'm not convinced that they won't do anything but continue to tease us with the Time Lords, but a little Time Lord teasing might be in order in addition to, I mean, anytime Missy's on screen, there can be Time Lord teasing, I suppose, technically. Wasn't a little Time Lord teasing what was happening off screen with uh, the Doctor and River song, or mm. am I just going in a completely unsafe for workplace? It's possible. I don't know. I don't know what River song does to her hair. Ah, see, I turned mm. it around there. We also saw. Um, I, just to mention, we saw an Ood uh, looking at looking over a Cyberman, and we saw a couple of Santarans, right? Or were those nope. Jadun? We we saw we saw a Santaran uh, with helmet off, and then we saw a couple of Jadun Jadun with helmet as on. Pol- as police as police of course on. that was appropriate yeah of course 
Um, and I'm going to mention this because I think I've mentioned this before, but I'm going to throw it out there again, which is uh, in the credits, it says the Ood were created by Russell T. Davis, which fascinates me. I wonder what the story is there because, you know, the Ood appeared in an episode that is not. I mean, we know that Russell T. Davis rewrote everything, including the Impossible Planet and the Satan Pit. But that's when the Ood appear. <laughs> And well, so, I mean, so technic- by the same token, I think it's generally considered that uh, Captain Jack Harkness was created by Russell T. Davis, even though he appeared for the first time in a Stephen Moffat script. I just, I, think- I just wonder if there's anything official, like did Russell T. Davis come up with the Ood and then say, you know, here it is, here's his backstory and assign that to Matt Jones, who wrote, at least is credited with writing those two episodes? Or was that... Um, or is that just something that's just production team knowledge that, well, really, really it was Russell. So let's just say it was Russell. I think it involves lawyers. It's possible. Although, I don't know, maybe it doesn't these days. Maybe modern BBC contracts require much less. Right? In the old days, the writers actually owned some portion of their creation. But I would imagine today that's probably not the case. And it's more just a tip of the cap. So maybe since they know who really created the Ood, um, they're just going with that. But the Ood was there uh, in the credits. Ood yep. created by Russell T. Davis. You know, I like like to see the Ood. But and no they've credit, got the costumes. No credit for the whoever created the Centaurans. No, which was which was who was that? Robert Banks Stewart or no? He did the Zygons. Who did uh, the Centaurans? Was it Robert Holmes? Created I the Centaurans? So. Yeah, I think so. I'm, but we I'm, but no credit for that. I don't understand. Yeah, the the credits kind of are haphazard uh, sometimes. I'm just saying, lawyers. Yeah, I suppose so. I suppose so. The beauty of Doctor Who is that, you know, when you need to show aliens and you've, you know, spent a lot of money to build various alien suits and costumes, you show those again. Yep. <laughs> and uh, sometimes you see aliens from like the Sarah Jane Adventures and like, oh, well, sure, we had the costume. Uh, Doctor Who, you got to love that part of it. What else? What else? Um, oh, a shout out to the spinny tattoos um, that move around on a shielder's neck. I thought that was a neat look. And mm-hmm. I also liked the clock countdown tattoo on the back of Riggsy's neck. That was also kind of fun. Yeah, that's a that's actually a really creepy. Um, that's really creepy. Um, what a good story setup to, you know, you wake up and you've got a number on you and it's counting down. Yep. And that's all you need to know that this is bad and you don't want it to get to zero. Yeah, so it's a great it's a, it's a great story motivator. Yeah, it starts out and it's it's like Riggsy is living in uh in a in a Christopher Nolan movie, but uh then it goes sideways from there a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, I I I feel that I'm processing my feelings a little bit more now, Chip. So th- I I thank you for this therapy session because when we started, I was still very much in what did I just see? Um, Were you in denial, Jason? No, I was just shocked that that this was this is the joy of not being spoiled. I for most of Doctor Who's first few seasons on the air, I was very much spoiled on what was going to happen, and uh, f- for this year more than any other year, I have essentially stayed out of it, and uh, and by it I mean Gallifrey Base. <laughs> and and uh it's good it's a good thing because i have no i have no knowledge and so i got to be shocked which was great i will say i i i fully expect that we'll see jenna coleman again in some form as a flashback or something i don't think we'll see her as as clara because i think that this was it i think this is clara's official uh character goodbye i could be wrong but i'm just gonna assume that this is uh this is where we last uh where we last see her and where she officially dies and i thought it was a i thought it was a good a good way to go out in the in this grand scheme of things now that i'm emotionally processed this i can say that i would agree um but moffat being moffat never know I'm, I'm not going to actually put money down on that rule one stephen moffat lies mm-hmm mm-hmm 
Uh, but but a powerful episode, and yep. I think all of the sort of uh, niggling criticisms that we've had um, throughout this flashcast, uh, I don't think that they take away from it. I think it's a, I think it's a good script by uh, Sarah Dollard. I think yep. it's well directed and well acted, and generally speaking, and um, yeah, a good send off for Jenna Coleman. Yeah, I would I, I I would have liked the mystery to be a little fleshed out, but I think in the forty five minutes they didn't have a chance. The the um we see the 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 Janus that which is a, a new alien that that is uh, kind of clever. The two two heads and forward and back and founds out there's a there's a a, a a son who's actually a daughter, and that's because the they know the future and the past and and uh, that can be dangerous. You know that that was all interesting in a kind of murder mystery kind of way, except the murder mystery gets pushed so far down um, with the mechanics. Like, there's a moment where I think, okay, great, they've got 40 minutes to solve a murder. This will be fun. Riggsy, Clara, and the doctor are going to solve this murder in 40 minutes. And the first thing that happens is Clara goes over to the guy and asks what the rules of the Raven are. I'm like, really? I thought this was about the mystery. I thought I thought we were going to solve a mystery here, and instead Claire's like, "No, I'm not going to solve the mystery. I'm just going to find out what the rules of the Raven are, so I can break them," which she fails to do. Um, that I wish I, I was kind of enjoying that they were going in that direction. And there are pieces of murder mystery here, but uh, in the end, it sort of wasn't about that, and that's fine. But again, I think a lot of times complaints about Doctor Who can be boiled down to. Uh, two hours of ideas packed into 45 minutes and stuff gets left And how wild is it that in a season full of two-parters, Clara's swan song is in a one-off? Yeah, I'm a little surprised that this this sort of setting wouldn't have been a terrible, um, wouldn't have been a terrible setting for a two-parter, I think. But it wasn't. <laughs> uh, I suspect, yeah, I suspect the audience will be given a couple of weeks of, of grief time, as will the doctor. But uh, uh, yeah, but uh, wouldn't wouldn't I'm I'm beginning to wonder if it wouldn't have been better just to have uh, shoved sleep no more gently over to the side and expanded <laughs> this one into two parts. It, it's certainly a breathtaking. Um, contrast in episodes right and i i liked the style of sleep no more as we've talked about last week with liz um i know people a lot of people don't like it and you you had a pretty negative review of it too i like it for the style of it but then we proceeded to to rip it apart for 45 minutes so that you know because it doesn't make any sense but it's stylistically i really enjoyed it um i wonder if it might have been better to slide that if not to kick it aside and give this two episodes because i'm not sure they would have had to add a lot of plot to make this two episodes but uh even to kick it back a couple of weeks before one of the other two parters um just to get it out of the way here of of this episode might have been nice but uh yeah, it's this is how it goes, and and look at this. We're down to the season, the two part season finale now. It went so fast. It always does. I don't want it to go. I I don't either. But we say that. That's that's the thing we say. That's the thing we say. All right. Well, Chip, it has been a pleasure talking about this episode at length, longer than two minutes. <laughs> Unconcentrated, diluted commentary about Doctor Now I've, now I've got to figure out how to smash all this stuff down into something pithy. Where uh, where can people listen to your uh, your various podcasts? Plug plug away, please. I am happy happy to do that. Uh, two minute time lord is at twominutetimelord.com and it is uh, roughly two minute audio essays yep. about uh, the show. It's and short. We'll, uh, 
And we'll also have uh, some lengthy interviews uh, coming up with uh, Dan Starkey and Noel Clark that I recorded at Long Long Island Who. Yeah, nice. So those will be time dilation episodes coming up. And then um, the audio guide to Babylon 5 is at B5 Audio Guide with incomparable regular Erica Ensign and uh, my wife, Shannon Sutterth. Yes, incomparable game show regular at this point, practically. Shannon's uh-huh. others too. Um, yeah, so definitely check out Ch- Chip's stuff. I got to know Chip because I found his podcast and it was really great. It literally, that is how it started for me. <laughs> it was like, hey, two minute uh, Doctor Who podcast. That's a great idea. Uh, so good idea, Chip. Uh, as we sit here having talked for almost an hour about a, an episode that lasts 45 minutes. We do that here. That's what we do. <laughs> so ne- it's the it's the Incomparables brand. It, I guess this is what we do. Uh, so next week, hopefully it will be Mr. Mose, Philip Mose. You you may know from the Flash Flashcast coming over here to uh, to detail part one of the season finale, and then I'm hoping for the uh, for the fi- final episode of this season of Doctor Who to reconvene a, a mini panel as we did for episode one, and uh, that's how we'll go out. But uh, until that time, until next week, uh, dry your eyes; it'll be okay. Give a loved one a hug. Um, we'll miss you, Clara. Unless we don't, we'll see you next time on the Doctor Who Flashcast. Doctor Who Flashcast on the incomparable